All right. Really, if you think about it, uh, I'm sure that you know somebody who really could use the Easter message. And uh, let's make an effort this year to invite that person uh, to come to one of the opportunities. Uh, we do plan to be at the beach again uh, early in the morning and uh, baptism, and uh, that's always a great sunrise service. And so I hope you make plans to join us there and then for breakfast and services. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here, you remember that uh, Dan preached on uh, the second part of our church's mission statement, um, that we would uh, encourage each other uh, to become God-first people, God-first believers. Uh, you know, it's one thing to believe in God and to receive from God. It's great. I mean, God is a very giving, very loving God. But it's another thing to surrender to God as God-first believers and to allow God to have first place in every area of our life. And Dan was preaching from Colossians uh, chapter 3 in particular. And I want to uh, just remind you, we all have room in our life to put off more of ourself and to put on more of God's stuff, right? The first couple of verses of Colossians chapter 3 says, If therefore you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Um, oh, we don't have the screen, right? So no wonder you're looking at me, huh? Page 984, Colossians chapter 3. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So it's really God is telling us, you know, we have a choice as to where we set our minds. And of course, the Bible says that we are changed or transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so if our minds remain settled and set on things of this earth, uh, we don't really uh, take advantage of the transformation, the changes uh, that God offers us through our relationship with him. And so when we do set our minds on things above, when we do set our minds on Jesus and who he is, and especially as we approach Good Friday and Easter, <clears throat> I want to suggest to you this morning that a very um, prominent theme, a very uh, prominent direction, a very easy thing to observe emerges uh, when we set our eyes on Christ and where he is. And I want to suggest that above everything else, uh, we begin to recognize Jesus, while he was here on earth, was a servant leader, a servant leader. And I want to invite you to think with me a little bit about that this morning, uh, because I think no one can deny that Jesus was the greatest servant ever. Uh, there's no other God that people worship that love us to the point of death of himself. He's the greatest servant that ever lived. And I think nobody can deny that no one has ever been a greater leader or had more influence on people in the world than Jesus. He was a servant leader. And um, I want to suggest that um, as a servant leader, um, calling us to be servant leaders while he lived on earth, I think that um, the word servant and the word leader in our minds don't often go together. Servant and leader seem to be opposite ideas, not a definition of the same thing. 
And so when we think about Jesus as a servant leader and we realize that God calls us to be like him in this, uh, and to follow him and to be like him and so forth, um, the word servant leader calls for like a paradigm shift in the way that we normally think. And I want to suggest to you uh, this morning that, um, you know, because of the way that this is, uh, servant and leader seem like opposite ideas. Uh, almost every day in the news, uh, leaders are accused of misusing their leadership, right? We, you can turn on the news any day and read a, or hear about uh, leaders who misuse their leadership. But Jesus was different. And at the core of his identity was this issue of uh, servanthood, which in turn made him uh, the greatest leader uh, of the human race. Now, Jesus said about himself in Mark chapter 10, you're probably familiar with this, a very familiar passage of scripture, page 847 in your Bibles there in the seats. Uh, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus speaking. Even the Son of Man did not come into the world. Even God, in the person of Jesus, did not come into the world to be served but to serve. The idea of servanthood was at the core of Jesus' identity. Uh, you probably remember in, um, in uh, John chapter 13, one of the ways that Jesus demonstrated his servanthood was, remember, he was together with his disciples and nobody washed the disciples' feet, which was the custom, and Jesus goes around with a bowl and a towel and washes all the disciples' uh, feet. In um, Matthew chapter 20, we have what I would suggest is the greatest um, teaching of Jesus on this subject of uh, servant leadership, and it's the text for today, page uh, 825 uh, in the Bibles there in your seats. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I also want to suggest to you this morning that it's not just Jesus, but that almost every leader that God used In the Bible, the Bible identifies them as servants. Uh, For example, Moses, right, Uh, whom uh, the choir sung about this morning. It's not just Jesus, it's the leaders. And God uses the word servant to describe them as to how they were different. Uh, God first believers become servant leaders. God first believers become servants servant leaders. Uh, Moses was a servant leader. If we go all the way back to Exodus, in Exodus chapter 4 and uh, verse 10, again, page 47, way back in your Bibles, um, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. 
Uh, God says, Moses, I'm sending you down to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, whoa, I can't do that. I'm not very eloquent. I don't speak well, and so forth. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue, and, and so on and so forth. And then in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34, uh, at the very end of Moses' life, it says, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the, here's the Bible calling Moses again, uh, a servant. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Servant. Moses was a servant. And I want to suggest to you um, that um, we could go through the Bible and I could show you passages of Scripture where Abraham and Joseph and Joshua and Nehemiah and David and Daniel and Paul and Peter are all described in the Bible as servants. They were servant leaders. Nobody can deny their impact as leaders. But what a lot of people miss is the fact that at the core, they were servants first and leaders second. And so in the weeks ahead after Easter, I intend to use Moses as an example of a, a servant leader and how a servant leader actually develops, how God first people and servant leadership go together. And uh, if we, um, I, I thank the choir for singing about Moses this morning. If, uh, if we had to name one other person besides Jesus who's had the most significant influence on the way that we think, I'd vote for Moses. If you stop and think about our civilization, think about Western civilization in particular, um, it's really through Moses that we came to know the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments shaped the conscience and the morality of the majority of the world uh, for many, many years, up until you know, recent times uh, where uh, we've made efforts to take the Ten Commandments out of schools and out of courtrooms and so forth. Big mistake. But Moses, you know, God gave us the Ten Commandments and, and the issues of morality uh, through Moses. Moses, through writing the first five books of the Bible, uh, influenced our ideas about who God really is more than anybody else I know. When you think about what you learn about God from the first um, five books of the Bible, um, you realize that you've learned a lot through Moses, his leadership. Uh, Moses uh, also was a servant leader who shaped a nation of slaves okay, uh, into a people group, into the nation of Israel. And um, not only that, but the people of Israel have maintained their identity for thousands of years now, right up until the present, which is unprecedented. And uh, really, God accomplished that uh, in a great deal through Moses. Uh, Moses had a deep relationship with God. And it was a working relationship. It was like the relationship that Jesus had with God. It was a working relationship. Um, Jesus had with his father the same kind of thing while he was on earth. Uh, Moses walked and talked with God. And um, again, back in Exodus chapter 33, is a great uh, verse that talks about Moses. And uh, here's what it says, verse 11. It says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. That's not said of anybody else in the scriptures. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses was a friend of God. Okay? And it reminds me of uh, what Jesus said to us in John chapter 15. If you remember John 15, 15, Jesus said, um, I no longer call you servants for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all that the Father has made known to me, I've made known to you. The relationship that God holds out to us is one of friendship. It's one like the relationship that Moses had with God. Um, He offers us that relationship of friendship. And a friend of God is really an amazing thing. And so hopefully, uh, as we pay attention to the various interactions between God and Moses uh, after Easter, um, we'll be mentored by Moses. We'll be mentored by the way that Moses lived and interacted uh, with God. It's through Moses that we um, learn the permanent name of God. Do you remember in uh, Exodus chapter 3, Moses says, well, you know, I'm going to go down to Egypt there and I'm going to tell them God sent me, but who's God? And uh, they're going to ask me and I'm not going to know what to say. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's the name that he gave himself. I am who I am. Uh, He said, and say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. God's forever name. God's got a lot of names because he's got a lot of capacity. But his one forever name, I am, was revealed to us through Moses. Um, Not only that, but when you think of it... um, We know God as our creator through Moses. It's through the first uh, book of the Bible in Genesis that we learn how we got here and and, uh, where we came from and so forth. We learn about God's power, his power to do miracles when uh, Moses actually goes to Egypt and uh, these various miracles are performed to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. Uh, It's from Moses that we learn about the Passover lamb how the judgment of God was passed over the Israelites if they put blood from the uh, lamb uh, from, that was uh, shed, the blood of the lamb that was shed uh, and created Passover, which obviously points all the way uh, down through time to the person of Jesus himself in Good Friday. Uh, we learn from Moses what God really values in the Ten Commandments. You want to know what's important to God? You go back to Moses. And that's why I say Moses, more than anybody other than Jesus, has shaped our understanding of God and our understanding of life and who we are and where we came from and what God's values and so forth. And I think we also learn from Moses what God requires for worship, sacrifice. The whole sacrificial system came to us uh, through Moses. And again, points all the way to Jesus. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no way to get rid of our sin. And so this whole sacrificial system leading all the way to the ultimate Lamb of God who died on Calvary's cross uh, so many years ago. And so Moses, in so many ways, foreshadows Jesus coming. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about servant leadership on the basis of Moses' life. Moses leads the people out of slavery. Jesus leads us out of slavery to sin and slavery to ignorance and Uh, slavery to addictions and all all the rest of it, slavery to death. Um, Jesus leads us out. Moses is the forerunner of Jesus in so many ways. So servant leadership has always been God's way, and it's what God has called us to do. So think with me a a bit about this. Um, Jesus lived and died to serve uh, his father. And as you know, um, God desires us to become like him. God desires us to become like him. And so 
Uh, my question this morning is, do we accept the fact that God has put us in this world in order to serve God by serving the people that he's brought into our lives? Do we accept the fact that the reason that we're here on the earth um, is that we're designed to serve the purposes of God by serving the people uh, that God has uh, put around us? And, um, and again, in Matthew chapter uh, 20, uh, was my key text this morning, it's on page 825. In Matthew chapter 20, God, uh, again, describes, he's describing to uh, his disciples what leadership is. It's a, probably the best passage to understand God's definition of leadership, and what it really is. And he uses the image of a servant to describe what leadership is really all about. And so let me just read a couple of these verses, starting in verse 25. Jesus uh, called the disciples to him, and he said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And so when you think about this, um, it's so different than the way the world operates. Uh, what's the opposite of leading by authority or demanding your own way? Right? Leading by authority, lording it over people, demanding your own way, insisting that things go your way. Uh, what's the opposite of that? Well, it's leading by humility, right? It's, it's surrendering to the um, wishes of the person who is above you and so forth. And so I want to say to you that servants, first of all, are selfless. Uh, servant leaders lead humbly. And it requires uh, the conversion of our egos, right? Uh, I remember reading this someplace uh, a while back, and, uh, you know, uh, two definitions of ego. Uh, the conversion of my ego is the part of me, my ego is the part of me that edges God out, E-G-O, right? The conversion of my ego to become exalting God only, E-G-O, exalting God only. My ego needs to get converted from uh, that place in me that wants to edge God out uh, and, and replaced with um, exalting God only. Um, I, I don't think that um, authority is really the issue. The Bible recognizes that authority is necessary uh, in all different spheres of life. Um, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, uh, you know, all authority is mine, and I'm giving you some of my authority to go and lead people back to God and make disciples. Authority is not the issue. It's the misuse of authority and not understanding that the authority is given so that we can serve. And I know that the whole idea of servanthood uh, rubs against the grain of our American psyche, right? Uh, we treasure our freedom. And uh, we love to talk about how uh, fortunate we are and how blessed we are because uh, we have this great freedom. Um, hu humility and serving were not virtues in Jesus' day either. And they're not virtues in our day. And so Jesus goes on in this passage, and uh, he says, uh, you know, it's not so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever should be first among you must be your slave. And so there are two words here, um, servant and slave. Um, in the Greek language, uh, diakonos and uh, doulos. And it's significant that these two different words are used. The word diakonos uh, really is the word that we get our word deacon from, right? 
And uh, the nuance of the meaning of that word is that somebody who serves voluntarily, somebody who makes a choice to serve. And, and uh, the beginning, uh, the real meaning of that word at the beginning of time, uh, really you can read about it in Acts chapter 6, was somebody who waits on tables. The idea of a deacon really is somebody like a waiter, right? And you ask yourself, well, what makes a good waiter or a good waitress? Well, uh, it's somebody that um, enables you to um, enjoy a meal, right, uh, without any problems. I think a good waiter or a good waitress is somebody uh, you hardly know is there. They're facilitating things and they're making things happen uh, because they've got kind of this servant mentality and uh, you get to enjoy a great meal because they're in the process of serving you. I think it's why my wife likes to go out to eat so much is because she doesn't have to then cook the meal and clean up the meal and all of that. I just love being served at home. I don't get what the big deal is about going out to eat because she just, you know, is this, has that servant mentality at home. Uh, we have a friend, right, Barb and I, and uh, she was a waitress, and it just reminded me of this, and, and she, was, she just got sick of it after a while because people would just drive her crazy, and she just, she just uh, snapped one time, and somebody got a hamburger or something, and uh, they called her back, and really, when you have to call attention to a waiter or a deacon or a diaconess, you know, um, it, it's usually because something's wrong, right, that you're calling attention to that person. So this guy, I, I think it was a guy, had a hamburger, and he felt like there was too much mayonnaise on it. And so he complained to her, called her over to the table, says, too much mayonnaise on my hamburger. So she said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. Let me see. And she took the hamburger, took the top off, rubbed it off on the side of the table, put it back on, and said, here, that's probably better now. And then she quit. And she walked out. You know, She just didn't quite have that servant kind of uh, mentality when it came to being a waiter, being a, uh, a deacon or a deaconess, if you will. Um, the word doulos, the second word that Jesus uses here, uh, uh, is translated slave or bondservant. And this is somebody who goes beyond volunteering and gives up their rights, their personal rights. This is a person, uh, a doulos, a slave, um, who... Um, realizes they're in a subordinated position to their master. It's a person who is beyond volunteering and has become a slave, right? Uh, somebody who's in an obligatory. Uh, usually slaves were purchased. They were bought, right? And so this person understood that they had an obligation uh, to their master. And uh, a God-first believer eventually realizes that they've been bought that their life has been paid for with the precious blood of Jesus, more valuable than any amount of money you could ever put together. They've been bought with a price. And so part of that uh, maturing, part of that uh, movement of growth uh, gets to that place where we realize that we are in an obligatory, we are in a servant and a, a slave even uh, posture. We're bond servants. Um, um, because we have been purchased uh, by God. And uh, when we put those two words together, servant and slave, or diakonos and doulos, when we put those two words together, we realize uh, that being a servant leader is both voluntary, it's by choice, 
and in consideration of what Jesus has done for us and the price that he paid uh, and so forth, there is a sense also of obligation. And so a servant leader willingly obligates themselves to serve. A servant leader willingly obligates themselves to serve. Servant leaders do this. And I know it's countercultural. And again, we as Americans, you know, really uh, prize our freedom, and we should. It's a wonderful gift that we have. People have spilled a lot of blood to preserve for us the freedoms that we have. But it gives us the freedom to be servants of the living God. And we should value that and, and take advantage of that uh, because not everybody who's living on the planet uh, has that option. And then finally in verse 28 of this uh, key passage in Matthew chapter 20, uh, Jesus says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, okay, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just like Jesus, who's God, came into this world and realized that the purpose of being on the planet is to serve and to serve the purposes of God. And he was God and he could do anything he wanted, right? He was free to to do anything uh, he wanted. But instead, as you know, he emptied himself, he humbled himself. Um, This great passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2, page 980, if you're not familiar with it. But um, Paul writes to this church and he says, look, have this mind in yourselves. You have the same mind that was in Jesus, okay? Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He gave up his rights, right? But instead made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Taking on the form of a servant, okay? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You have this same mind in yourself. Forget about your rights. All of a sudden, we're into something much bigger than just claiming our little human rights for the little hundred years that we're here on the planet, right? We're God's servants. Uh, We're sons and daughters of the living God. And, And we've got a mission. We're to be servant leaders. Uh, while we have time here uh, on the planet. Um, How great this is to think about this when you realize that God has a purpose for our life, but how often we resist uh, this purpose and how we need to grow into it. Um, Jesus, aren't you glad that when Jesus went to the cross, his focus was not on himself, but on other people like you and me? Aren't you glad that Jesus had you and I in his mind more than himself when he went to the cross? But I also want to suggest to you, you know, that there's a, there's a part of us, a part of our old nature, right? And this is some of the stuff that uh, Dan was talking about. We have to put off of ourselves. There's part of our old nature that's always asking, but wait a minute, you know, what's in this for me? Right? I mean, this is great, Jesus. We love, you know, we love your teaching and, you know, servants and deacons and diaconus and, you know, bond servants and slaves and, and so forth. We get it. It's what you did for us, and we really appreciate it. But, you know, um, we still are kind of selfish, and we got to know, like, what's in it for us. In fact, you know, the context of this um, teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, 
uh, is about a mom, right? And moms are great for this. And in verse 20, if you just have your Bibles open on page 825, uh, in verse 20, uh, here's the context of what Jesus, why Jesus was teaching this. Uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him and, uh, with her sons, right? And kneeling before him, she says, hey, Jesus, would, would you do something for me? You know? And uh, he said to her, well, what do you want? She said, well, say to these two sons of mine that they're to sit on your right and sit on your left in your kingdom. Typical mom. Every mom wants their kid to be number one, right? Every mom's going to do what they can to have their kid be number one and number two in school or they're number one and number two on the sports team, you know? Um, I can remember when uh, our son was playing um, football and, you know, he would sit on the bench and I was like on the coach, like, when is he going to play? You know, like every parent wants their kid. This reminds me of... I don't know if you ever watched, like, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, but Marie, the mother, is, like, trying to get, you know, Raymond a job. And, and here's this mom doing this, you know. And Jesus says, um, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> you have no clue what it would mean to be my number one and my number two. And then Jesus asks uh, the question, are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? Jesus didn't even want to drink the cup. Remember Gethsemane? Father, if there's any way that you can put this away from me, please. You know, remember that? And so uh, the kids, right, they say to him, hey, we're able. We can do it. Yeah, we're able. We can do it. And he said to them, well, you will drink my cup. You are going to die like I died as servants. And, uh, but to sit at my right and my left-hand side is not mine to grant, but it's for those uh, to whom it's been prepared by my father and so forth. Now, look, I mean, that's mom and her two kids. But, verse 24, isn't this like us? And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. The other disciples like, hey, who do you think you are? And setting your mother up to come and ask for this and so forth. If you just go back to um, chapter 19, uh, verse 27. Um, Peter says uh, to Jesus, look, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What's in it for us? We've left everything to follow you. We're, we're good guys. Look at how great we are, you know. And what's in it for us, Peter's like? What then will we have? And uh, Jesus says to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, uh, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everybody who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Just typical of Peter, right? Peter speaks out what all the rest are thinking. <laughs> What's in this for me? And when God prompts us to become servants in some scenario, some situation, isn't that like the first question that comes up? But, you know, is this going to cost me or can this somehow aggrandize me? And we make that decision when we evaluate what we're going to do or not do so often on that basis, just like Peter. What's in it for me? It's not easy to embrace a servant posture uh, and to focus on other people. The second part of this is leadership, servant leaders, okay? 
And um, I want to suggest that um, Moses, again, was, uh, and Jesus are two of the greatest leaders uh, ever to be uh, known. And again, the best definition that I know of leadership is influence. Whoever has influence has leadership. Influence is just trying to, um, you know, uh, affect somebody else's life in some way. Uh, a leader is simply somebody who influences other people. And so to lead is not about titles. It's not about position. It's about influence. And I want to say everybody influences somebody. Everybody's a leader in some capacity. Everybody's life influences somebody else. And I know that a lot of people shy away from leadership, but the truth is leadership is just influence. And um, I think the effectiveness of our leadership really is dependent on two things. It's dependent on our dedication or our enthusiasm or our passion, if you will. And it's uh, on our competence, uh, the skills and the experience that we bring to uh, the issue of leadership or influence. And I want to suggest there's at least three ways that we influence other people. Number one is through example, right? People watch us, especially once they know that we're believers. As soon as you claim a relationship with God, just like the Jewish people, think about this. We're the chosen people. Why is the whole world so against them? Why is there such a, an anti-Semitism? Because the minute you say you've got a relationship that's special with God, you become observed, and uh, people become jealous of that relationship and so forth. And one of the biggest criticisms against the church is that you all people think that you're better than us, and we're not. We're not any better than anybody. We're just forgiven. We're just saved from ourselves like everybody needs to be. And uh, when we're truthful and honest, we're not any better than anybody. Uh, but so often we don't admit that, and so the rest of the world you know, looks at us and thinks, oh, those people think that they're uh, better than us and so forth. So I say example, uh, Romans chapter 15 is one of the places where Paul, I think, talks about this. He writes to the Roman church and he says, look, we who are strong, you a strong Christian? You an honest believer? You a God first believer? We who are strong have an obligation, an obligation not to please ourselves, Paul says. That's not why you're here. To please yourself, we have an obligation not to please ourselves, but to bear with the failings of the weak. All those annoying people in your life who get under your skin, we have an obligation as servants of the living God. Think about how God puts up with you. And we have an obligation as servants, you know, to bear with the failings of the weak. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, Jesus said. We have an obligation to hang in there with people whose faith is weaker. Uh, I think of this in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, the Apostle Paul. Listen to this in uh, verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all, I can do whatever I want. I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm loved, I'm going to heaven. Although I'm free and I'm a, I can do anything I want, I have made myself a servant to all. It's a choice. Paul says, I've, I, I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm a Christian. 
God paid for all my sins. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win some of them. To the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak. Right? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all. For the sake of the gospel. I obligate myself. I make myself a servant of other people. If other people are weak. If other people are living under the law. Um, you know this comes up with uh, all kinds of things. Right? You know. Uh, hey I have freedom as a Christian to do what I want. But you know what? If I'm going to offend another person's conscience by my actions. I give up my thing, in order that they might be first. Because that's what Jesus did for you. And that's what Jesus did for me. And so I say um, that one of the ways we influence people is by our example. And uh, another way that we influence people is by encouragement and love and meeting people's needs. If you follow Jesus around and just read through the Gospels and watch how he lived... Uh, he just forgave people, he fed people, he healed people, he talked to people, he listened to people, he taught people, he loved kids. You know, uh, one of the ways that we influence other people or act out this servant leadership role is simply by meeting the needs of other people. It's kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan. Just live your life playing the role of the Good Samaritan. All around us are people with needs. All around us. Right? If we open our eyes and open our ears, I guarantee you, God will bring somebody into your life that could use you to be an encouragement to them in the next week. Right? I mean, all around us are people who are hurting and, and needy in all different kinds of ways. And so one of the ways that we can have influence on people for God is by serving uh, them by meeting needs. And then the third way that I think we can have influence um, is through um, persuasion or through uh, reasoning with people, um, sharing what we know. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We enter into conversations. We persuade people. We share what we know. We share what God has revealed to us. We share our stories with people in an attempt to persuade people to embrace the truth that God has revealed through Christ and um, you know, through the scriptures and so on. Um, we share our thoughts and our feelings about things. We share our lives and our knowledge and so forth. And so servant leadership, um, at least those three ways, we have this servant leadership working out of us. But servant leadership is always asking the question whether I'm looking at a conversation or a situation uh, through eyes of self-interest or with eyes focused on the betterment of the next person. In every conversation, every situation that we get in, um, is our first thought, you know, um, well, what's in this for me, like Peter, until he grew up, and I could show you in Peter's writings that he gets past that and so forth uh, eventually, but that's where he started out. He starts out selfish and had to go on a journey to get to servant, just like all of us, right? 
Starts out selfish, but has to go on a journey to get to leadership. Um, and so we're always asking this question, serving, um, am I serving uh, the next person or am I trying to serve myself? And I think this idea of servanthood is, is for people who are, are uh, in every, all people. Like I, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a huge company or on the lowest rung of the corporate ladder, servanthood is the way to lead. And uh, servanthood uh, eventually results in leadership. And so think of a person that you'd like to influence. Think of a person that you'd like to lead. Uh, maybe it's a spouse or a boss or an employee or a child or a, a friend, whoever. And uh, maybe you'd like to uh, see their thinking or their behavior change. And um, maybe you'd like to see their beliefs change. And just ask yourself, you know, whose best interest am I trying to serve when I have the opportunity to interact with these people? Am I really serving their best interests or do I have my own interests in mind? And I want to suggest again that we all start out selfish and that it's a journey to get to be a servant. And we all start out selfish as a journey to get to be a leader. But in closing this morning, I'd like to just remind you of one thing, that um, change, that journey of going from being less selfish to more servant-oriented, um, is not uh, really the result of our efforts as much as it is the result of trusting what God is doing in our lives. You know, it's not so much that we have to change ourselves. It's that God wants to change us and that God will change us. And um, in fact, you know, when you think about being a servant and so forth, it might seem like, you know what, I could never do that. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I mean, I just, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to be open to the idea that I would be a leader someday, a servant leader. I'm not even going to go there. I don't want to do it, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I want to say that, you know, when we become a Christian, um, God's life is given to us as a gift. It's received, right? It's not earned. It's not worked at. It's not like you've got to make a lot of effort. It's simply a gift that God, because he's God and because of the way he is, wants to give us. And so we don't change ourselves as much as God changes us. And uh, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. God puts his spirit inside of us, and the spirit of God begins to tug at us, begins to challenge us. The spirit of God begins to take up residence in us. And uh, I think the spirit of God tugs at us like through the Bible, through God's word. Like you're sitting here today, and, and I'm going to count on the Holy Spirit uh, tugging on your heart to say, you know what, that servant leadership thing, that's right. That is true. That is why I'm here. That's why God put me here. And, and, and the Holy Spirit uses God's word. When you're reading it yourself, when you're in a Bible study, when you listen to a sermon, whatever, the Holy Spirit will you know, grab a hold of something and bring it home on a personal level. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you're just talking to another person, you're having a conversation and... Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the person says something, and you know it's totally aimed at you, right? You ever have that happen? It's amazing to me. It happens on a pretty regular basis. I was with a guy this past week, and, and we were just having a conversation. All of a sudden, he said something, and it's like the Holy Spirit jumped out, grabbed that piece of a sentence, and stuck it on my heart, and said, this is for you, you dumb Dutchman, you know? And, and it's just like you, I've said this, and I realized, you know, God has said this over and over and over but he wanted me to do something with it. 
And it was just like we're just having a normal conversation with another guy. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just like brings something home. You know, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the one who initiates change. All you got to do is listen, right? Uh, that's the way it works, and and that's the way God changes us. Maybe we sing a song, we come to worship, and we sing a song, and all of a sudden, you know, there's some line in that song or that song itself that all of a sudden just jumps out and impresses itself on your heart, and and the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, this is for you. You need this truth. You need this blessing. You need, you know, this is for you. And, and, and the Holy Spirit uh, brings these things home. And so, so how is it that we are really changed? Do I just, you know, go home and sit on the couch and uh, watch basketball and trust that the Spirit's going to change my life? What's my part in this, right? God's going to change me. Um, here's my part. Galatians chapter 5, that's my last verse this morning. If we live by the Spirit, if the Spirit is what gives us God's life, if we live by the Spirit, which we all do if we're Christians, then let's walk by the Spirit. In other words, when the Spirit prompts us in those various ways, through the Scriptures, through conversations, through worship, and when the Spirit nudges us or tugs on us and so forth, you know what our part is? Just say yes. That's our part. Just say yes. Just say, you know what? I'm going to trust that God's telling me the truth. I'm going to trust that the Spirit of God is prompting me and tugging on my life to move me to be a more God-first believer. I don't have to do it. I don't have to initiate it. I have to try harder. I just have to say yes when the Holy Spirit does that. And I have to say, you know what? That's right. That's true. I've got to adjust. I'm going to choose to trust what the Spirit is saying to me and allow him to gently nudge me and tug me to become a servant leader. And that's what he will do. And so you know, as well as I do in the Bible, it says, look, don't grieve the Spirit of God. When you ignore him, when you say no, when you, you, you refuse to say yes, you know, uh, don't grieve. And the other thing the Bible says is, look, don't quench. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't allow your life to be so full of distractions that you have no time to listen to the Spirit of God. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't drown him out. Don't keep yourself so preoccupied that every time he pops up, you know, you're just onto something else instead of paying attention. So this transformation into servant leadership is something God will do in our lives. In fact, if we try harder to do it, we'll just mess it up. <laughs> but there will be those opportunities where God comes along and says, you know, just say yes. Just say yes. Sometimes, you know, the Spirit works through needs. You'll see a need. You'll encounter a need. God will bring a need into your life, uh, somebody else's life or something. And, and the Spirit says, you know what, you could meet that need. You could help out. You could meet that need. You could do that. And your part is just say yes. If, if you're convinced that the Spirit of God is telling you, even though you don't want to, listen, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, please, if there's some other way. You know, there's sacrifice involved in being a servant leader. It's not what we want. It's what he wants, and that's where Jesus came to, right in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. Let's pray together. It's hard for us, Father, to think about a God 
who's a servant. All the other gods that people worship lead by authority and talk about something other than them becoming our servant, but not you. You, Father, in the person of Jesus, came down, became one of us, humbled yourself, emptied yourself, became a servant, and went to the cross so that we could be free, so that we could be served by the God of the universe. Nothing else would have ever set us free from our sin. Nothing else would have ever ushered us into eternity. But you, Father, chose to be our servant. And so may we, Father, upon recognizing that, submit to your spirit as you move us along that we too could be servant leaders in our world for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen.